Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. Well, that was pretty good. Huh? <laughs> what a blessing. Friends, turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 28. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs, so we're moving along. We're getting closer uh, to the completion of our study. Today we'll pick up about halfway through the chapter where we left off last time. And Father, uh, your son reminds us that uh, when the Son of Man is lifted up, all are drawn to him. And, And so, Lord, that's what we desire to do now. Lord, as we look into your word, we desire to lift up uh, the Lord Jesus, that he would receive the glory of our times, even the posture of our heart, each of our hearts as we receive these words, that they might be open to hear from you. Lord, your word is eternal truth. It's alive. It's not some old book, but it's a living and active work that can... uh, do its work in each of our hearts as we uh, we allow it to. And so we pray that, Lord, you would do just that. Lord, that you would use your word this morning uh, to speak in a way that uh, we know for certain is of the Lord. And we pray that prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We left off in verse 14. Uh, 13 is what we completed. So looking at 14... You're going to notice here, just as Solomon does oftentimes in the study of Proverbs, is he'll contrast things. And so he'll contrast individuals, he'll contrast consequences, he'll contrast actions and things like that. And in this particular proverb, he's going to contrast uh, two things actually here. First, he's going to contrast two people, and then he'll contrast two experiences of those people. So look at it. He begins, he says, I'll read it to you. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And so the first, the people that he's going to contrast are the one who fears the Lord and the one who hardens his heart. And then he's going to contrast the condition, if you will, uh, of those individuals, one being blessed, the other be uh, dealing with calamity. So let's look at those one at a time. Let's look at this idea of fearing the Lord or the people, and then we'll look at the condition there. It says a person who fears the Lord. Now, a person who fears the Lord is one who respects who God is and the place uh, God is to have in their lives. That's essentially what it means to fear the Lord. I'm sure you can find other definitions that are out there, but a person who fears the Lord is one who respects who God is and the place God is to have in their lives. Now, a person who hardens his heart is one who knows the way that they should go. That's very important that we understand that. They know the way that they should go, but they determine to go another way in spite of that knowledge. Christians can have hardened hearts. And that's why I say it's so important, because we can know the way that God would have us to go, but decide I'm going another way altogether. And so the contrast then is one who respects who God is and the place God has in their lives, 
and the one who hardens their heart, that is a person who knows the way that they should go, but determines they're going to go another way in spite of that knowledge. And Solomon's silent exhortation here then is, be the one who fears the Lord. Be the one who respects who God is in your life and the place that he is to have in your life. Because as I've said a few times now in our study, you and I, we were created to know God, to walk in his ways, and to bring him glory. That's why we were created to live on this earth, to know God, to walk in his ways, and to bring him glory. And when we are doing that, then we are doing what we were created to do. And so sometimes you may talk with someone who has their dream job. They got promoted to this position or they got a new job or something like that, and they're still jazzed up about that particular job. And you'll say, how's it going with your new job? And they'll say something to the effect of, I am doing what I was created to do. Has anybody ever talked to someone like that? Have you ever felt that way? My wife says that a lot. She loves what she does. They say, I'm doing what I was created to do. And you were created to know God, to walk in his ways, and to bring him glory. And so for that person that's working that dream job, their joy is uncontainable. And their satisfaction, it's it's almost beyond measure. There's a peace. There is a contentment that clearly abounds in that particular individual. That's the condition that God would have for each of us that have been created to walk on this earth. They're doing what they were made to do. To know God, walk with him in a way that brings him glory. And notice what Solomon says in the verse there. He says, such a person is blessed. Now, again, that phrase there, that word could be translated as a phrase, oh, how happy is such a person. When you are doing what you were created to do, oh, how happy is such a person. And so you will be at your happiest, at your most blessed state, when you are knowing the Lord, walking in his ways, and bringing him glory. That's the key. We fear the Lord as we obey the Lord. And as we obey the Lord, we continue then to nurture that tender heart toward the things of God. And so again, notice what Solomon here, the contrast. So as you fear the Lord, you obey the Lord, and you continue to nurture a tender heart, look at the contrast. It says there, uh, the contrast is with the one who hardens his heart toward toward the Lord. So to fear the Lord is to maintain a tender heart toward him. Not to fear the Lord is to allow your heart to be hardened toward the things of God. To fear the Lord is to maintain a tender heart. And that's a key word there, that word maintain. Because the proclivity of our hearts in the midst of the world in which we live is to drift toward hardness. If you do nothing, you will drift toward hardness. And so you must maintain a tender heart toward the things of the Lord. Again, you'll shrink back if you fail to do so. Now, how do you do that? Well, you do that in a variety of ways. And there's probably more than this. But you obey the Lord as he directs and leads. You want to maintain a tender heart toward God? You obey the Lord as he directs and leads. What if he directs you to do something you're not really inclined to do? You obey the Lord as he directs and leads. Well, I don't feel like it this time. Okay, you're hardening your heart. You obey the Lord as he directs and leads. That's number one. You confess sin. Remember, confessing sin is agreeing with God. And so the only reason you know that it's sin is because the Lord told you that it was sin. And so you confess, and you know what, Lord, you are right. For the longest time I've been doing this, I've been trying to justify it, defend myself, pretend you didn't notice, but you are right. 
I agree with you. You confess your sin, but the scripture always puts two things together with the confession of sin. You confess your sin and you forsake your sin. And so if you say about sin, God, you're right, it's sin, I was wrong, and then go and do it again and again and again, you haven't forsaken your sin. Confession and forsaking of sin goes hand in hand there. So you confess it. As soon as you become aware of it, you forsake it. Then you seek God for his strength and you seek him for his wisdom. You seek God for his perspective. And we primarily do that through the word of God. And then you fellowship with other like-minded believers that are doing the same thing. How do you maintain a tender heart toward the things of God? You obey the Lord. You confess your sin. You seek him for his strength and his wisdom and his perspective. And then you fellowship with other like-minded believers that are doing the same thing. And if you fail to do those things, you're not nurturing a tender heart toward God. And again, the default is to gradually drift toward a hardening of the heart. And the reason why is the same for all of us is because we possess a sinful flesh. Even though we may all in this room be born-again believers that have been empowered by God with his righteousness, imputed with his righteousness, we still possess a sinful flesh, a natural man that is drawn toward sin. And so we fe- if we feed the flesh, you're going to become more fleshly. But if you feed the things of the Spirit in your life, you will maintain that tender heart and you'll walk in the fear of the Lord. Those are the ways in which you set yourself up to be truly happy and blessed in this life. And Solomon says it again. Look what he said. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity or into difficulty. Amen? Enough said? Verse 15 says this. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. Now, in our last study, if you were not with us, listen to it. But in our last study, which was the beginning of Proverbs chapter 28, multiple times we, we took notice of the importance of men and women of character being a people, leading a people, I should say. The importance of men and women of character that are our leaders and the direct impact that person or people will have on our society. And so again, here we take notice of this, that uh, it is the detrimental impact of a, of a wicked ruler that they will have on a people. All right, let me restate it then. Well, we take notice of the detrimental impact of a wicked ruler that they will have on a people. So again, the importance is of men and women of character that are leading. Notice what Solomon says. He says, like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. I've never had a lion in my face roar at me, and I've never placed myself in a circumstance where a bear has charged at me, but I think we could all use our imagination. Very little is going to stop a roaring lion or a charging bear. And in most instances, your best and safest measure is just to get out of the way of the roaring lion or the charging bear and avoid the impact of the encounter. Now, as a people in our nation, we are fortunate that we have a say in who our nation's leaders are. And so when we go to the voting booth, we remind ourselves that wicked rulers do wicked things and that character matters. We remind ourselves as we we go into that booth and then we choose accordingly. And again, as I said last week, if there are no candidates that seem to have the character to be trusted with high office that we're casting our votes for, then maybe it's time for some of us to run for those positions of office here. 
because as we see here, a roaring lion or a charging bear, they're like that, is a wicked ruler over a people. If we can avoid them, we should avoid them. Choose wisely when you go to the voting booth. Verse 16 says this, a ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor, but he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. Two things that he says should be avoided. One is uh, the lacking of understanding. The other is unjust gain. Now, these are not two separate ideas, but you can see they're meant to be linked together. So the point then of this verse is this, that a ruler who gives themselves to unjust gain is a ruler who lacks understanding. Because if only that ruler, instead of selfishly looking for him or herself, out for him or herself, if only that ruler would understand that old phrase that a rising tide raises all vessels or however the phrase goes, if only that ruler would understand that, he, he or she wouldn't have to look out for themselves because they recognize that if they do good for others, it's going to benefit everyone else. That if everyone was given an opportunity to rise and succeed, then everyone, including themselves, would benefit. But as we see here, that a ruler that is greedy for unjust gain, and that unjust gain could be money, it could be power, it could be fame, it could be lasting legacy, as you hear some people talk about all the time. That ruler that is greedy for that unjust gain is going to become an oppressor of his or her people. And so it's the wise ruler who will rule in the fear of the Lord. It's the the wise ruler who will be the one that's going to be loved by his or her people. And they're going to have their days prolonged, as we see there. A ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor, but he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. Verse 17, if one is burdened with the blood of another, he will be a fugitive until death. Let no one help him. Now, the idea of that phrase there, burdened with the blood of another, it's the idea of having wrongfully taken the life of another and the corresponding guilt that goes with it, both internally and externally, that a person's going to carry around with them for having done so. And so here we're talking about a person that has wrongfully murdered another individual. And that person may have been able to get away with that particular crime. What Solomon is telling us here is that the constant pressure of that unconfessed sin is going to wear at them, is going to eat at them until they come to the end of themselves. Now, that principle is true whether we're talking about the unconfessed sin of murdering someone or we're talking about cheating on your spouse, or we're talking about defrauding someone in a business dealing, or we're talking about swindling money through some fraudulent tax scheme, all of those, the the principle is what we're looking at here. And so the point is this, is while your sin remains unconfessed, you continually live in fear as a fugitive, to use the example that he does. You'll continually be a person that is on the run. Notice, if one is burdened with the blood of another, he will be a fugitive until death. Let no one help him. And fugitives are continually on the run, continually looking over their shoulder. Total lack of peace. You saw the movie, Harrison Ford. And some of you are older. You saw the TV show. Apparently not enough old people here. 
All righty, there's one back over there. Very good. But you're always on the run, and you're always worried. I remember in the movie. It was my favorite movie when it came out. We watched it on Friday night. My friend came over. He said, what would you do last night? We said, we watched a movie. He said, what would you watch? I started telling him. We said, we should watch it right now. We put it in and watch it Saturday afternoon. The Fugitive. It was an excellent movie when it came out with Harrison Ford. But you remember there's a scene in the movie where the police are coming to arrest the guy in the neighboring apartment, and Harrison Ford is convinced they're coming from him, for him. And so he's freaked out and he's hiding and all that because you're always on the run. There's no peace. And Solomon is getting to that here. Now, we saw in verse 1 last week, this is what verse 1 read. Maybe you remember. It said, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And then look at verse 13. Also, again, from last week, it says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And so both of those instances are speaking to what we're looking at here, that there is no help for such a person save they turn to the Lord, acknowledge their sin, and walk in repentance. And so the the scenario is this. I've committed this crime. I've committed this sin. I'm racked with guilt, and I just want the guilt to go away. Now, what some people will do in a scenario like that is they'll talk to their friend and they'll say something like this. Well, look, it's okay. You had to do what you had to do. Don't feel guilty anymore about this. Some will say something like this. Well, look, it's it's because of your parents. And if your parents didn't do those things, then you wouldn't be doing these things now. Some will say things like, look, you were just born this way and you need to be true to who you are. And what they're trying to do, perhaps from noble intentions, what they're trying to do is help the person put aside their guilt. But what the scripture says is, no, don't put aside your guilt, deal, deal with your guilt. You're feeling guilty, I said it last week, because you're guilty. And so don't try and squash it and hide it and get busy with other things so you don't think about it, deal with it confess your sin. If you confess your sin, that is the one that will obtain mercy. Remember that? He who confesses and forsakes their sin will obtain mercy. And so all those other attempts, they're not helping. And honestly, they should be stopped because what the person needs to do is confess their sin to the Lord. That's the path to relief and freedom. That's the path. And I just want to encourage you. There there was there's been a number of like sins in my past that I've just tried to like put away with. And the Lord would just lay them on my heart. I've confessed them to him. All right. And I got that down because he's a good God and I can bring my sin to him. But as the years went by, he says, you need to go to those people you sinned against and you need to talk to them. And then the negotiation began. Well, Lord, come on now. Let's, let's be reasonable here. Like, you know, that sort of thing. Or Lord, I don't know where they live. How would I ever find somebody, you know, these days, you know, that if only there were a social media platform or, or, you know, and you just bargain with the Lord. And there was one sin I remember, it was probably about five years before I really dealt with it and went back and confessed it to the person I sinned against. And, things like, and all of that time, you're in misery and conviction and separation and alienation. And finally, you bring it to the Lord, you, and then you bring it to that, you do whatever he tells you to do, and it's just like, it's the pilgrim's progress is what it is, if you know the book. And you just leave it there. And you just skip away, singing songs and things like that. You're like, this is amazing. Why didn't I do this earlier? And, and anyway, that's it. That's all I got there. Verse 18. It's just really good. Don't, don't carry anything around that you don't need to carry around. 
forsake it. It's so much better. Verse 18, whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. I've said this many times. The Lord honors those that honor him. Even if this world that we live in does not, the Lord does. And he takes notice. And he writes many a wrong, and he does so in his perfect timing. So he says here that whoever walks in integrity will be delivered. Now, if you're reading the King James Version, as many of us here do, you'll see there it says whoever uh, walks uprightly shall be saved. Now, don't make the mistake of thinking saved is salvation, as we oftentimes do. Are you saved, brother? Uh, We might think about a person if they're going to go to heaven when they die. And if that were the case, if that's what this word meant here, well, then it would seem to imply if we live a good life, an honest life, we walk with integrity, then we'll get to go to heaven. But that's not what is meant to be communicated here. So we we certainly don't want to make that mistake. We know that it's faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone on the cross that accomplishes salvation in a person's life. And so what Solomon is speaking of here is not the salvation of the soul. That's not what is being spoken of here. Rather, he's speaking of salvation in the practical sense of keeping, uh, keeping us from giving in to failure, sin, and the consequences of giving in to those things in our lives. That's what we're being saved from. We're being delivered from. It's when we ignore God's word and his counsel that we set ourselves up for a sudden fall. And the Lord would save us from that, protect us from that. And it's when we assume that we can cut a few corners here and there, or we can do this thing or that thing and no one will really know, that's when we expose ourselves to the danger of those decisions. So then, a person who walks in integrity, they keep themselves from the unnecessary snares that trip so many others up. We know in the scripture, the Lord says, this is the way, walk ye therein. He whispers it behind our back as the picture is there in Isaiah. And he says that for a reason. He says, this is the way, walk ye therein for a reason, because he knows those ways are for our good. And so we would be wise, you and I, and those that we care for, if we heeded his his leading in our lives. What I mean by that is it would benefit ourselves and those that are in our immediate vicinity as well would experience that blessing as well. So we listen to the Lord. Verse 19, whoever walks, excuse me, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Now here we have again a contrast, plenty of bread, plenty of poverty. And Solomon doesn't beat around the bush here. I don't think we have to look at this and be like, I wonder what he's trying to get at. He says essentially this, the one who is diligent and works hard will be rewarded with what they need to survive and get by in society. That's what Solomon says here. In fact, he says not just enough to sort of get by, he says that they will have plenty. And as we have been learning throughout this book, it's, it's essentially this. It's the one who puts their head down, does what they need to do, and keeps doing what they need to do that succeeds in society. So they work hard and they engage in honest labor and they treat other people fairly and with integrity. They're the ones that are going to have enough, according to Solomon, to provide for themselves and those that they care about. Now, conversely, the contrast is those who pursue worthless things, who think that success is going to come 
without hard work or without diligence, who expect that their bread will magically appear because they want their bread to magically appear. And what we see is it doesn't work that way. And rather than being the route to plenty of bread, it instead becomes the route to poverty, as the verse says there. Now, that's not being mean or heartless or cruel. Solomon is not actually saying, well, then there should be the route to that. He's not even saying it should be. He said it just will be. This is just the way it is. And so he says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Verse 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Now we have here again the same idea as the last verse, that the person who seeks to get rich quickly, now particularly through unscrupulous means, that they're going to experience the consequences of those pursuits. And so again, he says, whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. As Solomon so often does in these Proverbs, he's contrasting two different things, and he does it here. And he contrasts the person who desires to get rich quickly through sinful means, if need be, with the person who diligently and faithfully does what they need to do over the long haul in a way that honors the Lord. And Solomon tells us that's the path to blessing. And actually, notice what he says. It's the path to abound with blessings. And so what we, we do what we do in a way that honors the Lord again and again and again and again for the long haul, not just one time. Verse 21, to show partiality is not good, but for a piece of bread a man will do wrong. So it's not good to show partiality, but some people will if you give them a piece of bread. What's your integrity worth? Would you trade it in for a piece of bread? Now, most of us here were saying, well, of course not. That would be ridiculous. I wouldn't trade it for a piece of bread. Would you trade it for 50 bucks? Maybe. 100 bucks? A million bucks? What's your integrity worth? How high do I have to go to get you to compromise your integrity? Would you trade it for momentary pleasure? Would you trade it for a brief period in the spotlight? You have to ask yourself, what's it worth to me because the wise individual recognizes that nothing is worth trading their integrity for. And again, as we saw last week and earlier in the chapter, verse 6 says, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. And that's a verse I think we all have to do business with. Do we really believe that verse? Do I really believe that verse? Is there anything I would trade my integrity for? God, why would I be willing to trade my integrity for that thing, that money, that pleasure, that person, or what have you. Allow the Lord to search you on that. Verse 22, it says, A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know the poverty that will come upon him. Your version might say a greedy man, or it might say a miser. And so a stingy man or a greedy person or a miser is so consumed with their lust for wealth that they're going to do whatever is needed to acquire that wealth. And they'll forsake whomever is needed to forsake, or excuse me, to acquire that wealth as well. Now that individual, they may acquire riches for the time being, but they will sacrifice any of their meaningful relationships along the way, if they're willing to forsake anyone to get 
that wealth, then they're going to sacrifice those relationships. And so you recall the movie, maybe, maybe you read the book, those of you that are learned here, uh, Charles Dickens' uh, Christmas Carol with Scrooge. Did you know there was a book, some of you? Yes, as opposed to just the Muppet special that came out. Um, Well, he originally wrote that book, that classic work. And there you have this guy, Scrooge, looking to acquire all of this world's riches. But as we saw in in the movie or read in the book, he had no one to share those riches with because he had burned all those bridges, those relational bridges and so on. And as he came to learn, that's what true poverty actually was. Not that he didn't have money in his bank account, but that he didn't have people to share that money with. So again, look at verse 22. A stingy man hastens after wealth, and he does not know that poverty will come upon him. And as the book shows, he learned his, his lesson uh, by the end. Verse 23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. A few weeks back in chapter 27, we read, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Doesn't always feel that way, does it? But faithful, he says, are the wounds of a friend and profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And I said this then and I'll say it again. Just because someone lovingly challenges you on something in your life does not mean that they're out to get you or they're out to hurt you in some way. And again, just because something that that person says may hurt does not mean their intentions were necessarily to hurt you. A faithful friend is going to lovingly challenge you when you need to be challenged. And Solomon has been telling us here, he alludes to it again in our verse today, that that challenge should be received and that it should even be looked at as better than if they just kept their mouth shut, acted as if it was none of their business, or just schmoozed us with their flatteries. It should actually be seen as better that they actually come and rebuke us if we need to be rebuked. And again, as I said last time, it's never comfortable to receive a rebuke. For most of us, it's not even easy to give a rebuke, let alone to receive a rebuke. And our natural tendency when someone challenges us about a particular thing or particular behavior, our natural tendency is to pull back or it is to get defensive. So pull back, and I'm never talking to that person again, or get defensive. You know, I've been thinking... And I came up with a list of 40 things you do wrong. Let me lovingly challenge you, you know. And and so we come at that particular person. But what we initially want, and this is just our tendency, we initially want people to flatter us, to say all manner of good things about us, to to look past our, our little indiscretions or our problems, our faults, and what have you. And the reality is, as we pull back and evaluate the situation, what we see is that the one that is truly being a friend to us is the one who takes the chance to speak truthfully to us. That's the real friend. Because they have to take a chance to do so. How do they know how you're going to respond? You may never talk to them again. You may begin to berate them for all of their faults or or what have you here. And so it's a friend who will take the chance and say, look, I love you and I need to present this to you. And it's almost always only afterwards that we actually realize boy, this person must really care for me if they took such a risk in my life. It's when we're sort of in a, in a better state of mind, a more lucid moment, if you will, that we begin to see the true value of their rebuke and ultimately of their friendship. And then we're, we're grateful for that person. 
And so I'll say this, look, if you really care about another person, then you will prayerfully and lovingly say what needs to be said to them. Now that's, you're on the side of being the rebuker. If you truly care about another person, you will prayerfully and lovingly say what needs to be said. And if you truly care about yourself, then you're going to take their words to heart, recognizing where they come from. And so the flatterer may stroke our ego, but it's the faithful friend who's going to truly be valued over the long haul. Amen? Verse 24, it says, Whoever robs his father or his mother and says, That's no transgression, is a companion to a man who destroys. Now that word there, a man who destroys, uh, it's, it means murderer. And so it's interesting, it's kind of alarming that he compares a guy that, that stole something from mom and dad to a guy that has murdered uh, another individual. And rather than lessening the significance of murder, well, murder's not that bad, it's just like stealing from mom and dad. It's kind of yours anyway, right? It's in the house and etc. Rather than lessening the significance of murder, it's designed to raise the significance of robbing uh, a father or a mother. Children are called to honor their father and their mother and to be a blessing to them, as we read in the book of Exodus. And failure to do so, as we've looked a number of times in Proverbs, it doesn't go unnoticed by the Lord, and it's not without its consequences. And so all of us would be reminded to honor our fathers and our mothers well. Verse 25, it says, A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Again, he's commenting on the greedy person. Now, a number of other versions will say the person that is proud of heart. So if you have that in your Bible, you're like, this is very different. Well, the way they get to it, the point is uh, to comment on the person that wants what they want when they want it. That's the, proud, the person that is proud of heart, of, of heart. And so you see that. I want what I want when I want it. I'm, that's a greedy person. And so that's how there's the connection there. No thought is given to what others might want. No thought is given to what the, what the Lord might want. And so you have a person that is proud. They're selfish. They're greedy. And Solomon says such a person stirs up strife. They're always contending. Always contending to get what's theirs. And as a result, they're regularly stirring up strife. Now, conversely, the person who recognizes that they do not need to continually strive to get what is theirs, they know that they can entrust themselves to the Lord. They're not compelled to strive to acquire things, positions, uh, recognition, all those kinds of stuff. And yet they're enriched nonetheless. Now, I think this is one of the more, this is like second level Christianity, I, I would say to you. you. You learn some things right from the start when you become a believer, and that's like freshman year in college. And then you begin to learn some other things in your sophomore year or in your graduate program, perhaps there. I think this is one of those things. Entrusting myself to the Lord in every way. That I don't have to scheme and connive and kick in order to get ahead of other people. That I don't have to right every wrong that's been against me but I can leave it to the Lord. That's not easy, am I right? I can do some of the other, fine, I won't get drunk anymore. I was getting too old anyway and kept getting headaches or whatever. You know, that's, for me, that's lower level stuff. This stuff here is dying to self stuff, trusting the Lord stuff. I don't like that as much. Am I the only one? Okay, so this one here, 
She's got her issues too, together, you and I. And we should join a club. And so, remember this verse. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths, or make them straight, or whatever it says up there. Everyone loves that verse, don't we? How y'all doing with that verse? Are you trusting the Lord with all your heart? Are you leaning on him? Not on your own understanding? That's hard to do. It's a great verse. We love it. We put it on our coffee cups and stuff like that, but it's not so easy to do. And so this verse here, it comes at this time, 25, to remind ourselves to entrust the Lord. We don't have to fight our own battles to get ahead and all these things. We can give ourselves to his care. Verse 26 says this, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. I've, every now and again, I get lost in the YouTube uh, thing. You know what I mean? Like you click on one video and next thing you know, it's three hours later and you've watched 700 videos. And every now and again, I end up in the Ronald Reagan uh, vortex of things and old speeches of his and things like that. And there was one particular debate where his opponent brought something up and Ronald Reagan, I don't know if you liked his politics or not, but you loved his him, his mannerisms, and he says, there you go again. Uh, you want me to do my Ronald Reagan? There you go again. I, I'm not very good at that thing. Anyhow, you get the idea. So he says, there you go again, whoever he was talking about. And I, I feel like, to loosely quote Reagan, there goes Solomon again on this particular verse, calling people fools. Notice, he says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. It almost feels wrong. Like, Solomon, you shouldn't be calling people fools or whatever, but he does it again and again in this particular book here. And so here he says, the one who trusts in his own mind is a fool because a person can either walk in their own wisdom, which would also include the world's wisdom that they take for themselves, or they can walk in God's wisdom. And those are two different paths going two different directions. And what Solomon is essentially saying is, look, if you choose to go your own way, following your own wisdom, you're setting yourself up to be ensnared, to be trapped, to be tripped up, is what he's saying there. And now here's why the person is a fool. Because going down that path where you're going to get tripped up, knowing you're going to get tripped up, and going down there anyway, then the only word to describe you is a fool. And so that's what Solomon says here. Again, whoever trusts in his own mind, goes their own way, relies on their own wisdom, is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Verse 27, whoever goes to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Now, throughout this book, Solomon's been instructing us of the need to be involved with the concerns of the poor. And that the Lord himself looks out for the needs of the poor. And so in conclusion, in short, we have concluded this, that if you set yourself up in opposition to the poor, then you're setting yourself up in opposition to God. And this verse makes clear that God will reward those who show mercy to the poor, and he will deal accordingly with those who ignore the the cause of the poor. Now, many people will say, well, what about my own needs? What about my own needs? Well, they'll say things like, look, man, I worked hard to get where I'm at. If everybody else would just work hard, they, and things like this. 
The Lord says, as far as the answer to that question, what about my own needs? The Lord has said, what I just looked at a few moments ago, is you can trust that even as you make yourself available to meet other people's needs, the Lord will see fit to meet your needs. That we can entrust ourselves to him to provide for our needs because he says, whoever gives to the poor will not want. Seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Okay, come on, friends. You know, I asked... Feel like that Bill Cosby thing when, when the lady says, answer me and don't answer me when I tell you. you know. Anyway, moving on. Verse 28. When the wicked rise, people hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. Now in this chapter alone, verse 2, 5, 12, 15, and 16 deal with this idea that a nation and a people succeed in direct proportion to the character of those that lead them. That there is a direct correlation between the effects of righteousness on a society and wickedness on a society. That when the wicked rise to power, that the, te- the populace then will hide itself in fear, that they'll shrink back for their own safety. But when the unrighteous are removed from power, that the upright will increase in society. And that's either they'll increase or at the very least they'll come out of hiding. And so it'll appear that they have increased. And when that happens, the result is that a society is once again blessed. And so again, I'm not going to beat this thing down here, but these things matter. The character of our leaders matter. Both in our personal lives, character matters, and in the lives of a community and even a whole nation of people. And so I've said it seven times now in this, in this chapter. I'm not going to dig into it any longer. But we would be wise to take heed, right? All right, amen. I'm done. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you that some, some of these words, Lord, challenge us and make us uncomfortable. Many of them do. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we know every one of us here in our more honest moments, we'll be able to admit that we are still a work in progress. That we, uh, we came to you far away from you in thinking and heart posture and attitude and in behaviors. And Lord, as we've uh, come into your presence and your light has been shed abroad in our hearts, you have gradually, in mercy, gradually been revealing more and more areas of our lives that you want to do a little work on. And Father, I I admit for myself, my tendency is to turn from that, even to say things like, Lord, we've done enough work. And then I just want to coast in. But Lord, you love us. You want the very best for us. You know why you created us that we might know you, that we might walk in your ways, and that we would bring you glory. And so, Lord, uh, I do pray. I'm a little even reluctant to pray it, but I do pray that, Lord, you would create that hard posture in every single one of us here and do what is necessary, bring what conviction is needed, that that may indeed be the case. Father, we trust in the fact that you're good. And so we can uh, lay ourselves out with complete abandonment because you're good. 
And Lord, as a father's not going to give a stone to his kid who asks for bread, Lord, we can trust you that you'll answer us for our well-being. And so we do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Sermon Podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. If you would like more information about the church, its ministries, its worship services, or its small groups, please visit ccmercer.com or download the church app to your phone.